Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. So they go out of control and one of my sons screaming, yelling. But I remember it was just one of those moments where I started crying in the store and then the store manager came to talk to me and make sure I was okay because <laughs> the whole scene was very hysterical. And of course, the entire store turned their eyes on me and my clan. This is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. Our guest today is a brilliant woman who helps other parents by engineering out-of-the-box solutions for out-of-the-box children. She is the mother of five out-of-the-box special needs children herself. So if you or someone you know has quirky kids, stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. Serious chaos can mean something different for different people, but it almost always involves a traumatic event. Whether you find yourself or a loved one facing a life-threatening diagnosis, a broken relationship, or the news you never expected to hear, you might be in the middle of one of the hardest sessions of your life. Learning how to stay calm through the chaos can be a difficult life lesson one that is vital for helping you find the future you are meant to live. Download my free guide, Five Ways to Stay Calm When Your Life is in Serious Chaos and You Can't See Your Way Out. You'll be glad you did, and you can download the guide for free at stacybrookman.com calm. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode, or ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now, let's welcome Louisa Kasia. Well, Louisa, tell me a little bit about what you do and how you developed some of your real-life resilience. Yeah, Stacy. I currently engineer out-of-the-box solutions for out-of-the-box children, and this came from my life of where I developed the resilience. We have five children, almost six, and all of them have some sort of special needs that require really creative interventions. And they're not on wheelchair, but the kind of special needs have to do with uh, different neurological aspects of it, Mm -hmm. which normally comes out behaviorally and just having a hard time through your everyday life. And so parenting these kids, which I'm not shy to say that they're just really, really quirky kids, right? uh, really (laughs) difficult kids. So parenting them is a whole totally new, different set of ballgame and even trying to guide them so they're not on a whole lot of medication because that goes on a lot and trying to develop life skills in them. All of those are really challenging. And it's through that process that I developed a lot of resilience. Wow. So tell me what you mean by out of the box children, the special needs. Uh, Yeah. I mean, nowadays it's such an epidemic in almost every class you got kids with sensory processing, ADHD, or somewhere, anywhere on the autism spectrum, Asperger's. Um, You've got a lot of um, these issues that you can't see on the outside of the child, but the only thing that comes out is the fact that they don't 
they don't really conform to a regular classroom. And you can see, you can probably spot a couple kids in each classroom that just don't really conform. And they're probably in the principal's office a lot because they're just kind of in trouble. And so, and you have five special needs kids, correct? Yeah, they all have something quirky about them. Something quirky. (laughs) Some a lot more than others. Some a lot more severe, some a lot more problematic. Right. So that's had to be a very tough road for you to uh, travel on. Tell me about some of the, the, the low points of that road. I think it's the lack of understanding and the lack of public awareness. And I realized when we do see these kids melting down in the grocery store, or if we see these kids not necessarily behaving in the ways that they're expected to, because of the lack of awareness of what could be going on underneath for them, people tend to judge them. So it becomes, Mm. you know, as a parent, you know, your child is getting judged for their behavior and you are getting judged for, oh my goodness, what, what kind of parent must you be that your kid is doing this? Right. Was there one point in time that you just, you know, your kids were melting down or one of them and you just like, this is, this is it. <laughs> you know, I'm about to melt down myself was, and, and you had, and there was judgment from other people. Tell me about oh one, one particular, any, any particular time that you can re- recall. Yeah. I mean, I can pull out so many. I mean, that was my life so many years ago. Say we go to the grocery store and, you know, with a sensory kids, the lighting, the the echo of the store and between the walls. I mean, all those things that you don't realize is really hitting them. And for them, they just really can't deal with it. So they go out of control. And one of my sons were, I don't know, I don't remember how old he was, preschool, pretty young, three or four, screaming, yelling on the floor, couldn't deal with it anymore. And at the time I was pregnant with twins and then I also had another one or had the baby. (laughs) I don't remember how many kids I had, but I remember it was just one of those moments where I started crying in the store and then the store manager came to talk to me and make sure I was okay because the whole scene was very hysterical. And of course, the entire store turned their eyes on me. Of course. And I've had a lot of those moments when everybody turned their eyes on me and my clan. So I'm there crying and and, uh, getting frustrated. But in the end, you know, I I picked up the three-year-old who's having the problem and then helped the four-year-old and then the baby and whatnot. And we just had to ditch the full cartload of groceries and go because we couldn't continue. Um, That's pretty typical when we go out years ago. So you've had lots and lots of those experiences and you've started to throughout uh, your, as your children grew to develop some strategies for, for handling that for making sure that you have a harmonious clan. So tell me more about those strategies that you, the the, the road that you took after that. Yeah. Did you want to hear about the specific strategies or how we develop them? Actually, the process and then the specific strategies would be great. Okay. So I think the process really took years and it was a long, it was a long road. It took a lot of observation as a parent Mm -hmm. to getting to know what's really under the water for the child. 
I write in my book, the gist of it is the, those behaviors are the tip of the iceberg. The, the general process is from a lot of ob- observations, a lot of trial and error. I mean, it's, it's reading every single parenting book and realize, oh, your child isn't one of the normal children, so you can't read these books. They don't work. Mm. And then to digging into more with working a lot with doctors, professionals, and therapists of all kinds of discipline to really figure out what's going on and coming up with a holistic approach. And in terms of strategy, I'll give you an overall picture of all, I mean, I have transition strategies. I have um, daily strategies for dealing with difficult tasks with children, um, how to deal with anxiety. I mean, I have very specific strategies, but overall, these kids are usually highly gifted. And I've, from the years that I work with children prior to mine, when when I was in college, I was an engineering student. So I used to tutor a lot of kids that are failing in math and science subjects. Mm-hmm. And I realized they're pretty much, they got the same profile. There's something about them that makes it difficult for them to work in the normal environment. And a general line of strategy is that we look, I look for ways to really nurture their strength and their talents and support them with the deficits. All of these kids just have deficits in skills or tolerance or something that they didn't innately come with. Mm -hmm. So I support them and teach them to fill in on those while being able to continue to challenge them with the areas that they're really talented in. So um, I'm not going to go down that path right now. I'll go, we'll go down that one in the next uh, in the next one. But tell me about your support. How how did you find support um, as you were trying to figure this out? And then also, were you very methodical about this, or it just came about the, the strategies that you discovered and and your own resilience came about? You know, just the exposure and the practice of of mothering these kids. Was I very methodical about it? Yes, absolutely. I am an engineer, so I have a spreadsheet Ah. for everything. (laughs) And I do track everything that works, everything that doesn't work for every behavior strategies that I came up with. Um, Comes from a lot of logging of 7 a.m. He did this. I did that. Then he did this. Oh, okay. So that doesn't work. Scratch that. Wow. (laughs) Days of... Uh, journaling and really being pretty scientific about keeping track of what he's doing, what I'm doing, and then therefore which things worked. And then even tracking data of what I'm doing uh, when if he, for example, I mean, our tantrum sometimes, the meltdown sometimes could last for two to three hours, Mm -hmm. you know, and then tracking the different things that I do um, in terms of how long the episodes last as we continue on the road of finding a good way to support them. I was just say a lot of us wish we could be that way or, or think of that at the time, but uh, we just react. So I, I love that you have that approach. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I have my pool pulling my hair days uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot, but I mean, after all your hair is gone, you still, you're still showing, you're still there with the same child. So right. you have to come down to do something. How how have you uh, dealt with like the public in general or other mothers or just that kind of uh, spoken or unspoken condemnation that that other people tend to uh, provide? 
This is where I really want to encourage any listeners to be empowered with your innermost strength. I mean, if you are the parent, you know your child. Um, I have, yes, there's a lot of condemnation or even judgment that comes through the eyes in the public and you don't, you know, they don't say anything, but you're looking at them Mm -hmm. and you know you look like a mess. Right. The reality of it is you need to get it into your mind. The fact that this is kind of how your child is. You're working your best to get them to a better place. So by age 20, 23, they are no longer living with you and totally dependent on you or depending on some sort of a medication. I think you need to have the strength in yourself to say, you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. You don't know what I'm dealing with. My child is an excellent child and I'm a fabulous mother. (laughs) You need to be able to say that to yourself. And you need to be able to combat those eyes. And those eyes aren't evil eyes. They're just unaware of what could be going on. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because it's uh, it's a lot of your own self-condemnation, thinking of what those other people are saying or thinking. Um, but you ha- So you have to get over your own um, embarrassment because you need to be there for your kids, right? Not for right. the, uh, you know, other parents, you know, what they think about you. Correct. Right. I mean, they're thinking what's going on. I mean, can't you get this together? I mean, you know what they're thinking, Mm -hmm. but the fact is really they haven't walked a mile in in your shoes. They don't know. I mean, the way you are going to keep on with your resilience is measuring by years and months, as in every six months, you look back, where was I? Every six months you look back. So when you say, you know, I'm doing a fabulous job, Yes, you are. Compared to six months ago, mm-hmm. the picture was different. Right. That's how you need to look at it. I love that. So for for my own curiosity and, and for other people listening who maybe don't have um, kids with some neurological issues, what if we see something like that where you said, you know, you were in a restaurant and you had multiple meltdowns or something like that, what could we do to help? What could somebody do to help? Uh, help you or someone else that we see having those, those problems? I think the look is difficult. Um, but if I I think perhaps if you really want to step in, maybe just a word of encouragement saying it's totally fine. You're doing a really great job. One time I walked out of a concert with a child that was in the middle of a meltdown and you know, I spot it and I knew exactly what's going on because I had those. And so I, I saw the mother and I said, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And she started tearing and saying, you know, everybody's looking at me. No, there's nothing you can do to help my my son. He's just he's autistic. There's nothing you can do. And pretty soon all these people are going to call the police on me because he won't get off the floor. And I just felt so heartbroken about oh. what the mother is saying. You know, the fact that the child is autistic really I mean, it does not define him. Um, We don't want to define him that way. Right. And so I, you know, I patted her shoulder and saying, you're doing a great job. And and what can practically, if there, if you see that there's something practical that you can do to help besides just a pat on the shoulder saying, it's okay, you're doing a great job. Um, Can, is there something I can help with? So for example, I helped, I said, I'll watch her son. 
while she goes to the parking lot to drive her car up, pull her car up to where her son is, and help her carry and pull her son into the car.、Mm-hmm. That's a practical help you could offer if they are open to it. Right. Yeah, I love that. And and like you said, just saying, you know what, you are doing a great job. And and especially in the midst of of something that's going awry like that, and you feel so bad about what's happening, that that word of encouragement can just make that person's day. So I love that. So, what、uh, other tools and techniques or, or resources do you use to become more resilient、um, and and live a day to day life? Because Like you said, you have five kids and you have one on the way, correct? Yes. And、um, so, do you have like issues every day? And and then and what tools or resources do you use to be more resilient? <laughs> do I have issues every day? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know if this sounds like I'm exaggerating, but yes, we do have issues every day. <laughs> Okay, for from the parenting perspective, I think、um, you need to know that your child is not being evil, and you need to be able to have enough self care, as in your battery needs to be charged up enough that you're not going to steam up in the moment that your children are either being themselves、mm-hmm. or having a hard time when they really need you. I think part of for me the resilience was I was forced to. Because I couldn't really put them, some of them, to school because they're going to be in a regular classroom. However, regular classroom teacher are rarely equipped to really deal with these situations. I did not have family near me that could just say, "Okay, take them so that I can have a break," or even provide that sort of support.、Uh, we, we always live very far from family. In terms of professionals, I mean, I was spending a lot of time in different doctors and therapists' offices, which was taking a lot of time. And after thirty minutes of an appointment, we come home and it's still the same child. And it rarely felt. It's like I come home and it's still me. Right. It's still us. Right. So I think for my resilience, I was really in the corner, and we have gotten to a low point enough where the marriage was also.、Um, It was on the rock、mm. for that. For that reason, I mean, at any point in time, because the whole family dynamic was so stressful, at any point in time, any of us would threaten and say, <laughs> "You know, I'm going to leave, <laughs> you, and you're going to stay here with everybody. I, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with this." <laughs> so there, there's been. I mean, we have really been into a lot of crises, and I think when you think of resilience, it's like, okay, for me, it was a choice between: Am I going to let my marriage? My family fall apart, and my children be lo- let out on the street. Eventually, have to be taken by who I don't know—foster、um, care or adoption or whatever it is. I'm going to lose my children if I can't get myself together. If I can't get the situation together, I would lose everything.、Mm-hmm. So, was kind of forced to have to find a way out. Right. So, by necessity,、um, and because that that mother instinct is. You know, I want to do everything I possibly can to save my kids,、um, and your and save your marriage. So, what, you know, what what steps did you take?、Um, because you you became a stronger woman in the meantime, and a mother, a stronger mother, and a stronger professional. So, tell me what what changed or what was that trigger point? 
Well, I think it's really, really realizing that we are on our own, and we're two pretty intelligent people that can put our heads together. I'm talking about my husband and I, that we can figure this mm-hmm. out. Do we want to um, put a bubble around our kids? Just because they can't deal with the environment outside, do we want to just not take them outside? So I think there is a turning point there to say, okay, we are no longer going to live in this mess and chaos. We're no longer going to um, not go out, not have friends, be totally isolated just because our kids can't get it together. Um, so I started, I started looking at every single skill that's missing for the child that causes them to not be able to deal with certain environments. Mm-hmm. And I started creating methods and strategies to teach those skills. Um, I'm an innate great teacher for some reason. I started to really connect and teach them those skills and take one step at a time. And just knowing that what I'm teaching today isn't going to show up tomorrow, but six months from now, they're going to make an improvement in this area and continuing to cram through. One of the biggest thing is trusting in yourself on your ability to handle it and really looking under the waterline for what's going on. But this is where we came up. Uh, this is where I came up with my book and a lot of strategies there from what generally happens with these kids. Right. I love that you discovered that. I mean, it's not something that you know, a medical doctor said, hey, do this. You've kind of developed your own technique to figure it out on your own. And and yeah. now you're sharing that. They tend to really resort to medication, which does fix it for the short term. But um, you just don't want your kids being in a situation where they're 20 years old, they're living far away from you or going to college and you're wondering if they're taking their meds and if they're not, mm, right. can they handle life without it? So what advice would you give to somebody who is either going through the same thing that you were or just about to go through a similar, um, similar situation? What would you, what advice would you give? Um, Seek out for people who can understand and be supportive and be on your side. Um, Get yourself to reach out if you can have those communities. Also, um, work with professionals, but really understand your child and be able to decipher what is going to work for your child, what is not. Most importantly, you really need to not give up. You need to be able to live beyond the limitations of of these obstacles such that your children can live beyond the limitations that they come with at birth. Um, there's also a lot of resources you can check out. So as a result of us going through this uh, difficult path, I never wanted any parents to be crying alone in the grocery stores again. So that's where I started writing my book. It's called Outcast Outstanding, available on Amazon. I also started doing free coaching on Fridays. It's on Facebook Live. If you go to uh, Facebook on Harmonious Clan, you will find information on that because I get a lot of questions from different parents on what to do with different situations. So there is a free coaching every single Friday. As when I say, you know, reach out to people who can understand and support. That's one of the outlets you can do. We have 
some educational podcasts that came out of all of this, just experience passing down.、Uh, most importantly, you need to not give up. Believe in yourself. Believe in your children, and believe that they're just a, a gem. I mean, they're、mm. they're a diamond in the rough. And all those behavior, everything that's going on every single day, is the roughness outside. Slowly, you can polish that off, and you and see the gem. And you are the jeweler that that does that and that polishes. Love that. <laughs> I love that. So, where can people? Find you. They can find you at Harmonious Clan on Facebook. But what's your website? It's harmoniousclan dot com. Fabulous. And tell me the name of your book again. It's called Outcast Outstanding: The Practical Guide to Understanding and Addressing Your Child's Behavior. Oh, I love it, Louisa. Thank you so much for sharing this information and giving hope to a lot of parents. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. During our interview, Louisa said that the main issue she has faced as a parent of five special needs, out-of-the-box children, is a lack of understanding. People are not compassionate to other situations, and there's a lack of understanding of what might be going on underneath the surface. You haven't walked a mile in my shoes. You don't know what I'm going through. My child is an excellent child, and I am a fabulous mother," says Louisa. This was one of my favorite quotes from our interview. People really can't grasp what someone else is going through unless they experience it for themselves, and even then, everyone's experience is quite different. As Louisa said, parents are quick to judge others' parenting styles based on the behavior of the child. However, People don't stop to consider what could be going on in that child's life in order to cause them to act this way. I encourage you to take a moment the next time you see a misbehaving child and a parent desperate to control the situation. Consider the underlying issues that may cause children to act out in such ways. Instead of judging the child or parent, ask what you can do to help. You just might save a mom's sanity. That's all we have for today. Last episode, Cease Murphy shared his thoughts on appreciating ourselves and realizing that God created each of us to love and be loved. So, if you need a little bit of encouragement, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll continue our interview with Louisa in part two of our series. She'll talk about raising resilient children. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on YouTube, Pinterest, and Facebook. Really, just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to go and download that guide: Five Ways to Stay Calm When Your Life Is in Serious Chaos and You Can't See Your Way Out. If your life has been in chaos, or you know someone whose life is, then you need this guide. Download that for free at stacybrookman.com/calm. C A L M. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day was written in 1973 by J B West. Upstairs at the White House, My Life with the First Ladies is a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at life on Pennsylvania Avenue with America's first families. Written by the man who spent nearly three decades in their midst, 
West offers an absorbing and novel glimpse at America's first families, from the Roosevelts to the Kennedys and the Nixons. Alive with anecdotes ranging from ordinary to tragic, this is an enlightening and rich account of the American history. Check out Upstairs at the White House, My Life with the First Ladies, and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And always remember, life is a story, and it's never too late to start telling yours.